Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lost with Friends. As always, I'm your host, Paul, and I'm joined by two people, fantastic reoccurring guests. Reintroduce yourselves, guys. And Liam wants me to go first, so that's fine. Hi, Kev from Jersey, back again. Excited to be here. And I'm going to try and bring the energy, Paul, because the last couple times I was on, I think one time I was just trying to get over the flu, and the next time... I had just woken up, and you could tell. So I'm going to try and bring the energy today, even though I've had a long day. I got barely any sleep. I just burned my tongue on my tea, and I spent most of my day throwing up. So that might be to a TMI for some of your listeners, but I don't care. I'm here. I'm happy. It's late. I'm going to bring the energy. Let's do it. And now the other guy can introduce himself because I took and, way too long. And... uh yeah, this is Liam, and uh, I'm just starting to question some of these episode episodes that I get stuck with. <laughs> well, I mean, I wouldn't say stuck. Like I said, before we uh, officially started, uh, Kevin specifically requested uh, if you could join us this time, which I, I think is really had... fun, because yeah. I don't think Liam's been on with anybody else. But yeah, I, I like the three-person format, and I have enjoyed Liam's episodes. I haven't gotten a chance to tell him that, so I'll tell him right now as we're uh-huh. recording. I've very much enjoyed his episodes and his uh, perspectives that he brings, very different. And uh, I wish Thank I you. had heard... Yeah, you're welcome. And I wish I had heard some of uh, your theories and whatnot prior to us actually meeting in person, because... We would have had a lot to talk about, I feel like, and and we missed out on that opportunity when we were face to face. And it should be the... noted that we did the three of us have spent since the last time I've recorded. Anyway, I know you guys have recorded recently, but since the last time Paul and I recorded, we've spent a significant amount of time together in person in Hawaii. Yes, it has been quite a while because I was just thinking about that the other day. I'm like, oh, because I, I mean, towards the end of the season two episodes and getting ready for season three. And Kevin, we, we talk every once in a once in a while, probably once or twice a week. And I'm thinking I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm so excited because I knew that you were going to be on one of these early episodes. And I'm like, yes, this is going to be great. I get to talk with Kevin again because I haven't really talked with you like actually talked with you really since hawaii so yay yeah yeah it's been a while i'm excited uh but we will be discussing the episode the glass ballerina and uh it took me a little bit to realize why Kevin would want this episode in particular (laughs) we will of course get to that towards the end um but yeah this is one I don't know. I'm not the ending, I think, saves the episode, in my opinion, because I am not really I like the introduction of the Juliet stuff. Like we're still getting to know her a little bit. Uh, Not really a fan of the Pickett character, which I think we're not supposed to be Um, kind of the whole Saeed Jin son storyline. I didn't really care about the Sun and Jin flashbacks. I feel they're very repetitive. Uh, a lot of the times, but uh, I think overall the ending saves this episode. Just my opinion. No, I agree, and uh, it's it's kind of like when 
Ben was first introduced, when Henry Gale was first introduced, it was like he was like the B story, kind of like the ongoing like flashbacks really didn't have anything to do with it. And there was always some other mission it was supposed to be the A mission. But his story was really the one who was mo- that was most intriguing. And here you have the stuff with the introduction of the others and everything. And that's kind of the B story of the show, but it's definitely the more interesting aspect of it. And also, at this point, we're all also just kind of waiting to get back to the hatch and all that stuff. Because it's like two episodes now, S- you know, since since that cliffhanger happened at the end. It's kind of part of it, too. Yeah, for sure. That's uh, I've actually talked about that a few times uh, at the be- end of season one, beginning of season two, and then now end of season two, beginning of season three, that that's one of the things that I like about like kind of the finale endings of the show uh is that they uh you know they separate all the characters all these major things happen and then it takes two or three episodes because uh you know in season two it was what's going on inside the hatch from multiple perspectives jack's perspective Locke's perspective kate's perspective and then there was the whole thing with you know what i call the rafter math which doesn't sound right in uh, British English. I found out in one of the episodes. Off them off. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I got a, I got a good chuckle out of that. Yeah. Shout out to Andy. I got to do a show with him too. Uh, but so like the fact that like Liam said, we're on episode two now, and the whole uh, hatch uh, aftermath. Now we still have no idea at this point. Hatch hatched math. <laughs> Doesn't quite yeah, have the eh, same ring eh. to it. No, definitely not. But yeah, they, I actually uh, I read that they kind of juxtaposed uh, this episode and the next one. Like they, uh, what was further instructions is next, right? Yes. Yeah. And um, yeah, they they were going to go to that first as episode two because you could really show them in, in either order order, I think. But they decided to draw that out. Like like Liam said, everybody wants to get back to the hatch. They kind of purposely drew that out longer by putting this episode in front of it. And speaking of the season two finale, the whole big cliffhanger ending of season two is that scene with Penny. And we don't really get any closure to that until like season four, season yeah, three, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I think that was always kind of disappointing to me. I always thought season two finale was like the worst of the finales but still pretty good though it's actually weird because like you said like you know they have that thing and unlike the uh kind of the ending of season one where you know like we're we go down into the hatch and then the hatch is like the first thing we see you're right i i never really thought about that the fact that we see that ending with with penny and then it takes basically towards the end of this season for us to even know even a little bit. And it turns out it's not even actually that, but even a little bit more about that, you know, storyline. Yeah. I mean, we're not, uh, we're not complaining about the beginning of season three, are we? Because. That, oh no. The it's opener, others. Yeah, others. Yeah, the opener was awesome. And yeah. that actually is one thing, like I didn't know what I was watching at the time. Remember when I told you Paul about uh, how I'd seen the, th- the 23rd Psalm, prior to even getting into Lost, so I knew that was coming. Yes. I, I remember also seeing that opening scene where the, the plane uh, breaks in half over Dharmaville. I had actually seen that as well, and I had that in my head 
but I didn't know what I was watching. Like I knew I was eventually going to get to like people dressed normally, like not, you know, crash survivors on the island. It's like I knew that was coming at some point, but I really did, I didn't know any of the characters. Like I didn't recognize Ben when he was Henry, so I didn't have have it ruined for me necessarily. But I did know the visual of a village looking up at the plane breaking in half, so I knew that was coming. Now, is that the same situation? Like when you saw, because you saw the twenty third Psalm at work, right? Yes, I forget where I saw it. I may have been at a friend's house. <clears throat> Excuse me, I may have been at a friend's house or. Uh, Something along those lines. I forget the exact circumstances. Didn't stick in my mind that much. But, yeah. You know, what's happened to me a couple times, kind of like that, is I'll watch an episode of a TV show, just like randomly, like a season four episode, and then I'll completely forget about, I'll, I'll completely forget I ever watched it. And then I'll go back to that TV show from the beginning. And then once I get in season four, I'm like, why is this, why is this episode feel so familiar? Like I've seen this already. <laughs> It's like, oh my, I have seen it. It's happened to me a couple times at different shows. Yeah, exactly. Memory's just not as good, <laughs> I guess. Oh yeah, you're getting, so, you, you guys are getting so old, let me tell you. <laughs> I was going to say, Liam's the youngest out of the three of us. <laughs> Coming from the grandpa of the group over here. Uh, I don't know, you ever hear how Jake refers to me as being, you know, such an old man? So, I don't know. What does that make you, Kev? <laughs> Yeah, really. <laughs> um, okay, so I have my notes here. Uh, we begin with the glass ballerina spir- spiraling through the air before smashing onto the floor. We hear a metronome and a piano. The little girl, young son, hears her father come in and stops playing. He confronts her about the broken pieces, but she claims that the maid did it. Mr. And I'm sorry if Andrew is listening because I'm going to screw up the name. <laughs> Mr. Paik gives her the chance to admit it, uh, to admit it once more by telling Son that if she blames the maid, he will have to fire her. But she sticks to her story that the maid did it. He gets angry knowing this isn't true, but storms off accepting her story. I always like seeing the characters when they're kids. I don't know why. I'll... I was like seeing and it's a weird thing with like TV uh it's more with the father character the fact that like they dyed his hair he looks basically exactly the same but instead of having gray hair he has black hair it's sort of like in in you know stuff where uh with Jack they put you know they change his hair maybe they part it from one side to the other or with certain characters they give them glasses in the future or in the past and all of a sudden it's like oh this is so many years ago but really it's not (laughs) (laughs) and it's that look from young son first of all the the young casting seems to be uh done pretty well uh overall throughout the show i'll say that and the look that this kid gives like after he she says that he'll have to fire the maid. She just kind of gives this cold, like, you know, this, this cold look. She's, she's not regretful at all. Like you just got somebody fired and that kid did not care. She's like, I don't care. I'm not taking blame for this. (laughs) Yep. And the, uh, by the way, the metronome was set at one Oh, eight. Oh, and son is playing martinis. And here's where I'm going to butcher uh, some pr- pronunciation. Uh, Placer d'Amour, I believe. 
Uh, it's probably not right at all. They are more but like that love. Is, right? uh, d- d- no, not amore, like demore. I'm not sure. Okay. Something, probably something of love. Uh, yeah. And I know this because I watch with the captions on and it tells me what the song is. And I, I can't believe, like, when you do your commentary episodes, how people, like, don't like watching with the captions on. Like, I've always done that, and I don't understand. You get uh, some vital pieces of information, and that actually becomes evident later in this episode, and I'll wait to drop that bomb. I've always watched I always watch stuff with captions on if I can. There you go. My kind of guy. <laughs> See, I, I'll admit, I, I don't do it that often. But since having done some of the commentary episodes, I'm, I'm not saying I do it with everyone, but uh, I, I have done it with a few where I'm not doing commentary. Again, I don't do it with everyone, but there have been a few. Um, and actually, uh, you may have heard it. It's funny because like when I was doing it, I'm watching it on the DVD. But like Jake, the one time was watching, I believe, on Netflix with closed captioning and they didn't have certain stuff that I had on the DVD. Yeah, one. I believe the DVD is a lot more descriptive, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which I tried, I tried to bust out my Blu-rays uh, rather than watch on Netflix. That way, if there's any bonus material for the episode or maybe even a commentary track, I'll check that out leading up to uh, recording here. Didn't have a chance to do that tonight though. It won't, it won't matter by, uh, by next month. It won't even be on Netflix anymore. That's, that's true. Yeah. So everybody, if you're listening to this right around the time it's released, if you live in the U.S., is it U.S. or is it everywhere? Probably just U.S. Yeah. Uh, make sure you, uh, you know, finish binging Lost or get it on DVD or something if you haven't already. But why are you listening to this show if you haven't gotten it already? <laughs> I uh, used to actually have like each individual season on Blu-ray that I probably could have uh, given to a another Losty who's upset that it's going away on Netflix, but I don't know what happened to it. I bought the big collection, and I don't know what happened to my individual seasons. Um, in the present, on Desmond's boat, Sun is splashing water on her face. Jin confronts her, but she plays it off that she's okay, and he immediately knows this isn't true and goes to tell Saeed that they need to do something other than wait. Saeed is still convinced that Jack and the other A-team members are coming. Saeed believes they may have to move around the mountains if the others can't see the signal fire. But Jin says no in plain English and tells Sun that what Saeed wants doesn't matter because Saeed isn't her husband. Sun then says that Jin believes they have to do as he says because he's the only one who knows how to sail. But she also knows uh, how to and she will help Saeed. I love we get a hint here of bad Jin returning. Like it's always kind of bipolar with him. It's like he's <laughs> either the super nice guy or the super controlling husband. Like we get just a hint of it, and then she just like son is kind of developing, coming into her own now. And she she just ain't having it. She shuts shoots yeah. him down real quick. Which is funny to me because like I've noticed, especially doing this show and talking with so many people, especially the Charlie haters, how there's certain things like, oh, you know, he's he's not redeemable and he continually acts like a jerk and whatever. And I find that that's kind of the case more with Jin than Charlie. Like I am few and far between in finding times where he's almost redeemable. 
That's true, but I think that his redemption lies in, like, he always has a reason for doing what he's doing. Like, he has uh, a pregnant wife at this point. Like, he's trying to protect. You know, it's, you know, good-intentioned somewhat, at least. He may not go about it in the best uh, way. Well, like, in this episode, too, we start to see Sun's darker side a little bit also. Yes. I mean, right from that opening scene from a, as a child. Yeah, and then, you know, eventually later on with, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we'll get to it. Yeah, I I personally, I just feel like she's the best female character on the show. Like, she's one that's actually well-written for the most part. There's always a reason for what she's doing. She has a goal and a mission in mind. Like She seems to be at least one of the better developed characters, especially, you know, from coming from the you know, submissive, uh, Asian stereotypical culture to, you know, freedom on the island. And then, you know, when in season four, she's like this power, you know, she's like really powerful person. And you know what I mean? Like then, like you said, like even later on in the series, she has the goal of like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I think she's one of the uh, overall as characters, not necessarily just female. I think she's one of the better developed characters and never gets the credit. I, I agree 100 percent. Um, in Jack's cell, he's sitting in the corner because it's time for Juliet to bring him food. She tells him that she made the soup herself and won't be offended if he doesn't like it. He doesn't respond, so she leaves. In the hallway, she goes to another room which has Ben and numerous monitors. Ben claims that Juliet never made soup for him. So petty sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's such a uh, I I like you. I'm I'm jealous. Comment, you know. Yeah, and it's like that's that's one as someone whose whose feelings towards the other person have barely like pretty much never been reciprocated. That's definitely the type of line that a person like that uses. Like, to try to make you feel something, but if you don't feel anything, you don't feel anything. (laughs) Right, yeah, she's just rolling her eyes, you know, it's not physically doing it, she's doing it inside. Um, A woman who we'll learn is Colleen, uh, comes down a ladder and asks if she's interrupting something, and Juliet sarcastically asks if it would matter if she were. Colleen turns her focus to Ben and says that Saeed found the decoy village. Ben is okay with this because it's what they wanted, but she also informs Ben that Saeed has a boat, and he's incredibly shocked and asks how, but she doesn't know. It actually kind of surprises me, though, with the, with the fact that they didn't know that this boat exists, even though Inman had been working on it since Desmond crashed on the island. And I mean, yeah, he had it, like, in a little like thing but like how did they know like they supposedly know everything that's going on on that island how did they not know it has been three years boat's been on the island for three years they probably would have yeah i had that same exact thought like how do they not know that there's a boat over there like they shouldn't be too concerned about it you know maybe at this point because they're on you know hydra island spoiler but yeah and that's what she says, because uh, when Juliet doesn't understand, you know, what the big deal is, and she says that if they have a boat, they can potentially find the others. And of course, like you said, they are on Hydra Island, but we're at, you know, 
It's because that's I remember watching this the first time and I was just like, I want them to find where they are. And then it turns out that like it was not at all what I thought it went and what you know what I thought it meant. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and Ben's uh, dramatic. I want that boat. Like, yeah. You get the, the great dramatic Ben line right there. Yeah. He says, you know, put together a team and he, you know, I want that boat. Oh my gosh. Um, in the cages, Sawyer is getting himself some breakfast by working the complicated gizmo to get himself a fish biscuit. The noise wakes Kate up in the other cage. She comments on uh, the fact that it's a nice alarm clock, and Sawyer says that he's woken up to worse, which we've seen on this show. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, uh, wild boar, maybe. Um, Oh, I was thinking Saeed knocking him out five seconds later. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah, that too. (laughs) Uh, And not just noise, but John Philip Sousa's The Thunderer, is the name of the song, as I learn from the captions. Okay. I mean, I know that, I know that, that music, I just never. Like the classic circus music, but they, they're like, like I said, when you watch with the captions on, you get nice little factoids. They give you the actual name and artist of the song. Nice. Hmm. Um, Pickett and uh, the other, other. I'm going to keep going right now, right now <laughs> with this caption thing, but go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, Pickett and the other others approach him, uh, approach, and Sawyer sarcastically asks if they want half a fish biscuit. Pickett opens Sawyer's cage and hands him a lunch box, but Sawyer is confused. Pickett tells him that it's lunch because they're going to need him to keep up his strength. Sawyer doesn't like where this is going. A moment later, Sawyer and Kate are being led down a path, and Colleen approaches with her team. She yells for Pickett. They whisper to each other, which is, I'm assuming, where you're going to chime in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Pickett tells right. her to be careful and gives her a kiss. Because we don't he actually hear anything, and there's nothing uh, in the audio that would tell you this. However, if you listen, look at the captions, it tells you exactly what Colleen is saying, and uh, says they're, they're going to take the Galaga, which is the first time that we've uh, heard the submarine referenced by name. Okay. See, now the Lostpedia transcript, I believe it said, like, it, they have her mentioning something, they have a boat, or going after a boat, or something, but I, I didn't really hear anything, I just, it was just like... Yeah, no, it's, like, pretty much, it implicitly says, you can't hear it, like, it's not part of the audio track, but if you watch with the captions on, it says, like, she says, we're gonna take the Galaga. Yeah. So, again, a nice little factoid. So, when do we actually, like, really first hear the name Galaga? Whew. Do we I ever? honestly don't know. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. I, nothing stands out in my mind. I'm gonna, I'll say that much. Jake, if you're listening to this, Mr. Lostpedia, <laughs> get in touch yeah. with us. <laughs> yeah, Jake, get on that. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe season five once they're in Dharma and the, and the Dharma people refer to it as the Galaga. Um, do sense. we? Is it on the? Is it on the submarine itself? Because if so, then we would see it later this season. No, it's not. 
it might be on it, but we don't see it on it. Yeah, I don't think we see it either. Hmm. Now I'm curious. It's. I I would bet it's season five. See Horace saying something like that. I have no idea. I will look it up in a little bit. Um. Okay. Uh, Sawyer is watching them, and Pickett angrily asks what he's looking at. Um, on the boat, Saeed is loading a gun as Jin is looking towards the shore. Sun comes up to him, and Jin tells her that he'll have to adjust the sails, and she starts apologizing to him for disagreeing with him, especially in front of Saeed, and he says that she shouldn't disagree with him at all. He then asks why she even came, and she claims that she didn't want to be without him. And then, of course... Which makes sense, because she almost already lost him once. When he went off on a boat, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I just love the the irony of, oh, I don't want to be without you, and then we go to a flashback where she's in bed with another man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's with Jay, and he asks her what's wrong, and she reminds him that she's married. And I just love how he's just like, oh, that. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> Trust me, as somebody who's been put in that position before, you shouldn't feel that good to be the other man. Like, I, I'm questioning your uh, your morals if you're just, oh, oh that. Yeah. So this uh, is when like you, when, you, when you're in bed with a woman who looks like she's on the verge of tears, and you're like, just give me a kiss. <laughs> Come here, girl, give me a kiss. What were we going to say, Liam? No, nothing. <laughs> you can't top that. <laughs> um, uh, she's uncomfortable, and she begins saying how she can't do this before she gets out of the bed, and he presents her with a box containing a pearl necklace. She tells him how beautiful it is, but that she can't wear it because Jin will question where it came from, and he counters by telling her that he doesn't want to share her anymore. Her English is excellent, and she can go to America. Suddenly, a knock is heard at the door. Jay questions whether anyone knows that she's there, but she quickly denies it. Opening the door, Jay sees a hotel employee and gets upset, yelling for the employee to go away. But then Mr. Paik enters the room. Jay bows to him and apologizes. Mr. Paik sees Sun inside, and she closes her eyes in shame. He's furious as he tells her to get dressed. This is like the whole truth part two for me, basically. I feel like I just... I feel like I just watched some of this stuff last time. Yeah, kind of. Because there's, like I said, like I've the said first it... time, like, like they had shown uh, Sun and Jay together prior to this, but is this the first time they actually acknowledged that, like, it's it's really an affair? See, I, I was wondering that last episode. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought they, I thought they had something i mean i can't remember off the top of my head but i thought normally kevin you're the one who comes to me saying <laughs> like because yeah, we did that, question it in that episode <laughs> and you're the one who normally messages me going um hello like because <laughs> well on my episodes i try to watch the episode before and maybe the episode after to get a better idea because i'm not doing a full rewatch right now uh just to get a better idea of, of the context of the episode and what else is going on at that time i just didn't have a chance to do it 
this time. And uh, it's been, I watched seasons one through four before we went to uh, Hawaii. And I just don't remember. I, I haven't actually seen this episode recently. Oh. Just relying on Paul's breakdown. Yeah, basically. And Paul's <laughs> media, which is kind of annoying because it's, it's not in order of when the stuff actually happens. It's like they have all the flashbacks in one section, then all the stuff with Sun and Jin in one section, and then all the stuff on Hydra Island in one section. Yeah. Go to the transcript. Yeah. That has it all in order. In the present, with Kate and Sawyer, there's several others at a work site. Uh, there's a lot going on. And I just, I continually wrote that it basically looks like a quarry. I'm like, that's kind of how I just referred to it in my notes. I don't know if if that analogy works, though. Uh, I, I guess. Do quarries have water? Uh, it's mostly just rocks and stuff, right? Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, we, think, we, we know they're trying to build a, a runway, so... Isn't a quarry usually, like, next to a cliff or something? Uh, like a big cliff wall behind it? A lot think? of times, yeah, because it's, it's just where stuff's been, been dug up. Yeah. But I just kind of figured, like, with them just breaking apart rocks and stuff, I figured that was just the easiest analogy. Well, I always Join us that. next time for quarry talk with Paul, yes. Kevin, Liam. <laughs> uh, no, none of us really knows what a quarry is. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the only way I... I know what a quarry is is from the Flintstones. <laughs> I was thinking about that uh, Power Rangers movie they released this year. Oh, this one. I oh, they, so were... they had a quarry in the original Power Rangers movie. I don't know about the one from this year though. I haven't seen the original. I've only seen this one. You young guys, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Ivan Ooze, no. man. All about Ivan Ooze. <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> and honestly, neither do I. So there's a triple generational gap right there. <laughs> um, Pickett brings them in and tells them that they'll be breaking up the rocks and hauling them out. Kate asks about working in the dress, and Pickett tells her that she can take it off. Sawyer seems for this idea before turning to Pickett and being offended on Kate's behalf. I love that. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> no, like you said, we're not supposed to like Pickett. I think Pickett is easily the most unlikable character on the entire show. Because he has mm. no redeeming qualities. and uh, But he does have a good line right there. He's like, take it off if you want. The entire yeah, audience goes, eh, not a bad idea. <laughs> there are much, there are much better villains than Pickett. Well, okay, but better villain, but if you like the villain, then that doesn't make them like a terrible cuz like realistically like Ben I think is one of the oh, I mean Ben, some might argue Jacob, but like Ben is like the ultimate villain of the show, I would think. But there's a lot of people who like him, I'm actually one of them, people who like him as a character. But like Pickett, I just don't think there's like anything to like, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah and I'm well, with that. Ben kind of stops being the main, stops being a villain around like season five or maybe even season four. But then like a villain like Kimi, uh, he's not a good person, but he's still 
you you still or at least I still end up liking his character and like enjoy watching his character yeah yeah no I I mean like yeah I don't like him as a character like in my like he doesn't have anything like redeeming in him like some of your other characters but like if he's on I'm just like oh okay like I'm interested in this because he's compelling but he's not likable versus Pickett where I'm just like okay just like let's you know get off of my screen at least at least Kimi's easy on the eyes you know he's something to look at true Pickett's Nothing. <laughs> um, okay, so Pickett ignores Sawyer's line, and he tells them to raise their hands for anything and that they get it 10 minutes for lunch. Sawyer raises his hand with a question, but Pickett refuses this, and Sawyer goes, well, she got to ask a question. <laughs> uh, and again, Pickett ignores this and says that if they try to run, they'll be shocked. But Sawyer hears this as shot, and Pickett confirms, shocked, shocked, shocked. Uh, and he says that if they talk to each other, they'll be shocked. They touch each other, shocked, slack off, shocked, or anything in general that just pisses him off, they are going to get shocked. Um, Kate refuses to do anything until she sees Jack. And Pickett takes his little taser thing and jolts Sawyer, dropping him to the ground. And he informs her that that was only a quarter charge. And he goes to Sawyer and pulls his hair, telling him that once he can walk, the wheelbarrow's right over there. And what uh, what gets me about this uh, this whole sequence is like it's your typical union worker scene because you got like three people doing all the work and then a bunch of other people just standing around. Like if you ever go by, you know, people working on the road or down down a man hole cover there's one person going down that manhole and there's probably about eight guys standing around outside of it and this is what it seemed like to me like there are there are other others who are whose job it is just to stand there and look good pen dot pennsylvania department of transportation (laughs) exactly um in flashback in mr pake's office Jin is there and he hands Jin a file informing his son-in-law that they have a problem Jin opens it and sees a picture of Jay, and Mr. Pake says that the man has been stealing from him and must be dealt with. Jin tries to ask what was stolen, but his father-in-law tells him that it doesn't matter. Jin says that he'll deliver a message. Mr. Pake tells him that a message won't suffice and that he needs to put an end to it. Jin refuses by telling his father-in-law that that isn't his job, and Mr. Paik reminds him that Jin's job is whatever he says it is. Jin then tries to quit, but Mr. Paik tells him that he can't quit. This man has shamed him, and since Jin married his daughter, that makes Jin his son. And of course, this is what Jin has always wanted, but Mr. Paik is literally just using it to manipulate him. And then he continues to say that his shame is Jin's shame and that family honor needs to be restored. I wonder how long he's been like sitting on on that knowing he can call him son and manipulate him like that. He's probably just thinking like eventually if I have to I can just I can just call him son and then he'll then he'll do what I want. Oh yeah, he's probably had that in his back pocket for a while. And uh, it's he's talking about villains on the show. Like I think I honestly think Mr. Mr. Pack here is, is uh, 
one of the definitive villains on the show. Maybe not super important, but as far as good and bad, like he's definitely on the bad side. And he's great in the kind of cartoony villain role where he's just getting so worked up and like it looks like his eyeball is about to pop out of his socket when he's screaming to Jin. Although, thinking about now, I can't believe I forgot. Like, the worst villain on the show is Anthony Cooper, in my opinion. He's just like a horrible person in, in general. Yeah, he has like zero morals at least like even Pickett, like because he's another and he feels that he's they're the good guys versus anthony cooper who's just like straight up the most selfish person i think you got me on for uh the break or you got me scheduled for the break and i'm i'm looking forward to that one i always enjoyed that moment i think i was on the break too there we go all right it's gonna be a good episode we're coming back <laughs> Um, back in the present on the boat, Jin is chopping a fish and he hears sun and comes up on the deck and they see the Pala fairy, which was, uh, I don't understand the name of it, but I know that it was, somebody pointed out that it was name checked in the, was it the question mark episode? I believe when we first see the Pearl station video, what do we, uh, Pierre Chang says, yeah, he says, maybe in the video? he says about returning. He's like, when, you know, cause they're only in the Pearl station. They're only there for like two weeks. And he's like, and when you're done, you know, return to the Pala ferry to be taken home or something like that. I don't know. He says it more eloquently than that, but yeah. Gotcha. Does he? I don't... That doesn't sound right to me. I'm like 99% on that one. Look it up. I'll keep reading. <laughs> <laughs> I always. It would make sense. Did we ever see a Hydra Island orientation video? It would make sense for that, definitely. Well, Hydra Island doesn't. The uh, new man in charge has the. Yeah, I was gonna say that's Hydra. the that's the epilogue. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. That's when they officially explain polar bears, kind of. And the Hurley Bird. Yes. <laughs> Not like either of those things actually mattered. <laughs> no. Like, people complain about not getting answers, but the the questions don't really matter. Yeah, you didn't need to know that. Like, and and you could have put it together too. Well, yeah. This, I mean, the whole cages things. Uh, Tom's comment in the previous episode, I think, helped because uh, we know. I mean put it together dharma initiative they did research there were bears and he specifically says oh it only took the bears two hours to figure out how to work that thing therefore oh they must have had polar bears on this island there you go scientific experiments like it's not that like i don't know why people needed like a full-on answer for that um Okay, Sun also asks why there's a dock out here, and Jin simply replies, others. Saeed, however, says that it looks old and hasn't been used in quite some time. He suggests bringing the boat in and building a fire on the beach. He believes Jack will be able to see the fire from this spot. Jin questions, safe, and Saeed responds, of course it's safe. (laughs) Saeed's a terrible liar. Um... 
I don't know, though, because towards the end of season two, I think he does a pretty good job, like, with, uh, you know, like, when he, he doesn't let anybody know except Jack, he's just like, I think Michael's been compromised, like, all that sort of stuff. I think he was pretty good, like, not... Well, he's a terrible liar right here. Yes. <laughs> um, Back at the quarry site, or whatever it is, Kate is breaking apart rocks, and Sawyer just stops to watch her. In the be- Which, I mean, I can't blame him. Yeah. Um, in the background, Pickett and Juliet are talking before Pickett notices Sawyer has stopped to check Kate out. Pickett yells for him to get back to work, and Sawyer begrudgingly obliges. From the bushes, a rock is thrown to get Kate's attention, and she sees Alex, who warns her to be careful and not let Pickett see them talking. Alex then asks if Kate and Sawyer are being held in the cages and asks if Carl is there as well. Kate confirms Carl is not there anymore, and Alex uh, uh, says how Kate isn't even supposed to be in the cage before commenting on the dress that she's wearing, saying it used to be hers. But as Sawyer approaches, Alex takes off. Kate tries to stop her, but she can't really do anything because she's just like can't you know can't make any loud noises or anything. Sawyer asks if she's having fun yet, but she just tells Sawyer to stop staring at her ass, uh, and he retorts to give him something better to stare at. And Pickett yells for them to stop talking, and again Sawyer is just like sure thing, boss. Like <laughs> I just I love, love Sawyer in this episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, at the dock, Sun is walking, carrying a gas can, and Saeed is carrying firewood, and she hands him the can, asking what else she can do. He tells her to help Jin get as much wood as possible, and she's suspicious of the size of the fire that they're building. He says Jack needs to see it, but she questions why he's lying to her. She says that he's putting their lives in danger, and he tells her his theory that the A-team has been captured. There's tracks on the dock as fresh as yesterday. She calls him out, saying that he said it was abandoned, and he's just like, that would be part of the lying you mentioned earlier. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And she realizes that Saeed isn't building a fire for Jack, but it's to lure the others. He suspects that they'll see it, send a team to investigate, and he'll be ready to ambush, take two of them hostage, and kill the rest. And he says that he needs two of them alive, one to make the other cooperate, which is incredibly ironic. Considering what is going on. Elsewhere with the A-team that got captured, yes. And, however, like, Saeed, much like Ben, always has a plan. Yes. Might not always worked out, but he has it. Yes. Um, she asks how she can help, and he apologizes, but she'll have to lie to Jin until they get the fire going, because by then it'll be too late to stop the plan. Um, in flashback, Jin is coming home. He doesn't speak to Sun. Clearly there's tension between the two of them. He just eats his dinner. He asks about her day before telling her that he saw her father, and he says how Mr. Paik called him son for the very first time. She asks why, and he says that he that uh, the father needs a message delivered, and he doesn't have a choice in the matter. She tells him that he does have a choice, and he responds that it isn't that simple. She tells him how she thinks they can run away and start a new life, but he starts to t- tell her what her father would do, and she claims that her father wouldn't know where they went. 
he then yells that everything that he does is for her. Uh, her father expects it, and it's what it takes to be married to her. And she asks what it takes to be married to Jin, and he angrily goes. Uh, but upon being asked, he says he's going to deliver the message. And it's kind of, like we said, it's kind of repetitive. You feel like you've seen the same stuff with them before. But it's also letting you know, like, he might be doing this bad stuff, but it's he's doing it for her. I actually do kind of feel like this is almost the exact same scene like when he comes home bloodied the first time from delivering a message where he's just like, I do this for you. It's what your father demands of me. Like it's almost it is almost the exact same scene. Yeah, you feel like you've seen it before. Definitely. Um, On the island, Jin is watching Saeed start the fire before approaching and demanding the gun. Saeed is confused Jin begins yelling in Korean, and and Saeed asks what's going on, and Sun says that Jin knows what's going on, he knows it's a trap, and that he knows English better than she thinks he does. He knows that she betrayed him. But she really, he really doesn't know how, how badly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, he once again demands the gun, and Saeed hands it over and begins. I love this kind of scene because he's like, "Oh, do you know you can handle it?" It's an and he starts to say it's an automatic. And Jin, I wrote, Jin does that thing all badass action guys do, where they prove they know how to handle it by checking the ammo and loading the gun, <laughs> cocking it back, looking yep. like a badass. Yep. That's that thing, and like every we're just you know like you you get the, like the timid guy. It's like, oh, do you know how to? Hit? It's like, you know, like, yep, I know how. <laughs> yeah, and Lost yeah, Media, we we see a couple scenes later. Uh, Jin has in a flashback has uh, a gun, and apparently it's the same gun. Oh, is Coca it figure, okay? Right, yeah, yeah. That's what Lost Media says. It says the Glock, whatever Glock twenty two, maybe something like that. I don't know guns. There's that. Uh special feature on in season four where they talk about the guns i always i always like that special feature but like jorge garcia has some funny has like a funny bit in there talking about the guns how like everybody can dismantle it and do all the crazy stuff with it i always thought that was pretty funny (laughs) yeah um saeed tells son that she may be safer on the boat, and that if by chance they get past the guys and onto the boat, there's another gun in the galley. But Sun believes that if they get to the boat, her husband is dead and that none of it matters anyway. And he he reiterates where the gun is. It's kind of dark. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he'll be dead, and I won't care. Um... Very emo. <laughs> emo son (laughs) um at the quarry site juliet is drinking from a canteen and talking with another sawyer uh unloading the rocks is watching them and she sees this and throws him the canteen but he empties it out not giving her the satisfaction noticing kate once again he marches up to her and kisses her and Pickett and the other others come over shouting uh Pickett hits Sawyer in the head with his rifle, and a fight breaks out. Sawyer versus three others. He even gets a taser away from one of them, but but when he tries to use it, it won't click. He then gets a gun that fell, and Juliet yells for him, calling him James. He turns around, and she's holding Kate at gunpoint. 
Sawyer drops the gun and Pickett tasers him. Um, it's just, no, I mean, no. I don't know. These I, I pointed it out in the previous episode, but just these kind of opening ones with Sawyer and Juliet, it just makes me laugh in retrospect. Them isn't something that, that I ever saw coming in Lost. I mean. Yeah, no, guess- not at all. Even like five minutes before it happened, when I when I was very first watching that season five episode, and I thought like, okay, they're friends. You know what I mean? Like that's all. Like I thought when you know he's just like, oh, I need you to have my back. Like I kind of just figured that's what it was. They're they're friendly, kind of like uh, Mr. Echo and Ana Lucia. Like they were gonna you know have each other's back and whatever. And then yeah. uh, it cuts to you know, like three years later or whatever. And he's just like bringing her a flower. And I was just like, what? But apparently people online were like, oh yeah, it was so obvious. And I'm just like, not to me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't see it coming. And can I just say that running after someone with an assault rifle, when you see them kissing seems a little excessive. (laughs) I'm just saying like, like Sawyer goes up and kisses Kate. And then all of a sudden it's a mad scramble guy grabs a, Friggin' M16 or whatever the hell it is, and starts running <laughs> towards Sawyer. <laughs> a little excessive, just saying. A little over the top. A little what makes Pickett such an asshole. <laughs> um, at night, Saeed and Jin are waiting to ambush the others, but they're already sneaking onto the boat. Sun hears them and grabs the gun. Uh, in flashback, we see Jin in his car with a gun and a picture of Jay. He sees Jay and follows him into a hotel uh, and into a ro- you know towards a room specifically. Jay notices him and yells for him to wait. Jin then what sm- room? I don't remember. Room fifteen sixteen. Oh, right. I'm getting terrible with that. <laughs> I've I've Sorry. lost it. I, I gotta say, no pun intended, but I've no. lost it. <laughs> So that mean, does that mean he was 15 floors up? Uh, I would assume so, Probably, yeah. Probably, yeah. It's a long fall. Yeah. Um, he smashes Jay into the door, into the room, and throws him around, and he asks Jay if he knows who he is and why he's there. Jay tries apologizing, but Jin says that Jay knows what he has to do. And while Jin is holding a gun to Jay's head, Jay is apologizing profusely. Jin can't kill him, and he pulls the gun away. He tells Jay to leave the country, never come back, start a new life, and if he hears of any contact or return, he won't hesitate again. A few moments later, Jin is getting into his car before hearing a sound and then seeing Jay fall onto Jin's car, dying. Jay has the necklace that he wanted to give Sun. Now, I have to say, me personally, the at least the first time watching it, upon rewatches, I, I'm less and less convinced but i was almost convinced that mr Pake sent someone else to you know kind of make sure that Jin got you know got the deed done basically and when he couldn't right. somebody right. else threw him off that's yeah i guess that's possible i didn't i never even thought of it that way i wouldn't i wouldn't think so though no I mean, I, again I mean, upon rewatching this yeah, he's just been given a second chance at life, and instead he decides to kill himself. It, you know, that did seem kind of funny. So I, I, I could roll with uh, Paul's yeah. theory. I think. I guess. I guess it's the whole him grabbing the necklace, though. Him holding on to the ne- necklace. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that cool. does lend. He, more he dies literally clutching his pearls. <laughs> That does lend more towards the suicide thing. I mean, I think I, I think it could be explained away, but that was when I first watched it. That was always what I thought because I thought they were going to come back to it, where at some point it was going to be like in another flashback. It was like going to you couldn't be, get the job done. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was either going to be him telling Jin like, "I know you're not really." for me you know you couldn't like you said you couldn't get the job done blah 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 and then something bad was going to happen there or he was going to like basically rub it in son's face where he's just like your husband's weak you know that's why i keep him i don't i've never like really promoted him to other than being my my bully bodyguard guy and even then he can't get the job done because i have to send somebody else after him just like i did when i had to kill your boyfriend or so you know what i mean like something like that <laughs> obviously in in better wording than that but it's a pretty long monologue yeah, yeah you developed a lot of headcanon right there well okay to liam's points a lot of a lot of uh like kevin said he's like a cartoon villain that's what they do a lot of dialogue <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like I said, that was what I thought was going to happen the first time, but upon every rewatch, I mean, I, I still think that maybe in the back of my mind, but then I'm just like, no, I, I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, if it's suicide, it's suicide. Like that's what it was. Yeah. I like the theory, but he killed himself. Yeah. Um, now if Wayne says it, I'll take it as canon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wayne, Wayne comes up with a plenty of canon. Um... Back on the island, Jin and Saeed are still waiting. Saeed says he doesn't believe that they're coming, but on the boat, we see that they've already arrived. Colleen enters the galley, and Sun confronts her with the gun. Sun demands to be let off the boat, but Colleen refuses. She says that it's not her decision, and that five of her friends are on the deck. Sun threatens to shoot Colleen, who doesn't believe that she'll do it. Colleen says that she knows Sun, and I believe she gives her her like her full name, like, mm-hmm. uh, Sun Sun Hua Quan. Yeah, and I read something once. I don't know how true this is. I it was maybe it was on Lostpedia, maybe it was on Wikipedia, or like another Lost fan site or something. But that in Korean naming culture, it's odd that she, like that he would be Jin Su Quan, and that she would be Sun Hua Quan. Like, there was something with that. I don't rem- quite remember what it was, but that it was strange that... Or maybe maybe she should be Sun Quan Hua, maybe? I don't... Again, I don't remember yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's something like that, because they, they their surnames... Uh, I know in, in Japan, surnames come first. Okay. Right, so they would have the same first name, technically, um, if you say it properly. I don't know if that's in Korean. I'm not sure if that still applies. I'm not going to try and figure it out. <laughs> yeah. But I remember reading, I think it was something like with this episode where they were just like, oh, and this, you know, we get the full confirmation of her name. And it's strange because of this reason or whatever. Again, I, I wish I could remember offhand exactly what it was, but yeah. Um, but Colleen says that she knows that Sun isn't a killer, and despite what she believes, Colleen isn't the enemy, but if Sun does shoot, that's what she and all the others will become. Colleen moves forward uh, closer to Sun, who threatens to shoot her once again. As the boat engine starts, Sun pulls the trigger, shooting Colleen in the gut. Sun runs as the other others fire at her. Saeed and Jin hear the commotion and run towards the boat, 
As they get closer, the others fire at them as well. Sun is trying to get off the boat as it's pulling away. Jin jumps in the water after it. Sun finally gets the hatch open and Tom opens fire on her and she rolls off into the water. The boat continues off as Jin yells for Sun and she finally responds after a little bit. We then, uh, when they get to each other, they hug. Such a nice moment, kind of. Yeah, so Michael's been gone for one episode now, but we already have Jin out there doing his best Michael impression, screaming, <laughs> screaming out son's name while in the water like she's Walt. <laughs> it was hard not to think of that that scene when that happened. But uh, yeah, Colleen was pretty wrong, huh? Whatever intel she got that gave her son's full name must not have told her about uh, how she got her maid fired when she was a little kid. <laughs> and how cold she really is. Heartless. <laughs> she is her father's daughter, I suppose. Indeed. Yeah. It's that side of it's that side of son that we don't really see that much. You know, until like uh, again in season four and five when she's conspiring against everybody and trying to steal Aaron and whatnot. Yeah, this is definitely like like the. I don't know what you'd call it. Like the, the beginning of that. Like this is sowing the seeds for that for sure. Um, in flashback, Sun is at Jay's funeral and her father approaches her. He tells her that she shouldn't be there and she asks why he's there. And he responds that he and Jay's father do business. Which I don't get. Like she she knew that. That's how they met to begin with was like her mother set them up on... Like her, like their mothers or whatever set them up. And like, I would think it would stand to reason that one of the ways that they knew each other was because either the husbands did business or they were just like of the same class. And either way, that it would make sense that her father would be at his funeral. Yeah, I mean, right? I forgot all about that. What's that? I forgot all about that, about how they originally met. I mean... Maybe I'm just overthinking it, but that's, I mean, I would think it would stand to reason. Maybe maybe her asking him why he's there is kind of like, kind of like her referencing the, cause she knows that it's his fault. It's like, why, you know, why are you here? You you killed him. What are you doing here? Kind of yeah. standing up to him in a tiny way without actually. Yeah. I think she should have said that though. Why, why are you here? It's your fault he's here in the first place. <laughs> right. Give uh, an old biggie line to show up to your wake with, with your blood on my shirt. So just make sure you're dead. <laughs> um, her father then says that he heard Jay jumped to his own. De- and see, that's another thing that made me think my theory where he's just like, Oh yes, I heard that he jumped to his own, you know, that he, that he jumped or whatever. He must've felt great shame. Like I thought that was kind of <laughs> like more him just kind of being like hinting. Wink, wink. That, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then he tells Sun, my one eyeball isn't really popping out of socket. I'm just winking at you. <laughs> Uh, he then tells her that she should go home to her husband. And she asks if he will ever tell Jin, but he says that it isn't his place. And I feel like uh, 
if he really wanted to convince Jin to kill him, he could have just told him the truth. Yeah. Right? Because that, you know, in Jin's, in Jin's mind, that probably would have been enough to make him do it. But well, he obviously doesn't want to tell him. And I'm, I'm thinking about it now, especially because, like, with the whole, uh, I mean, it's it, it shows a little bit more of the manipulation when he calls him son or whatever. He could have said, this man is stealing from us. This man is stealing from you because from what I understand, like in that type of culture, just like how Jin is always like, I'm your husband. You have to do as I say or whatever. It's kind of the really old school, outdated mentality of like the women like her. Her mother even says it in the episode where where son and Jay first meet like, you know, oh, you're silver now, you know, like uh, no man, you know, it's it'll be harder for a man to want you or whatever. So it's, you know, the women are it's horrible as it sounds. They're basically treated, you know, like property. So for him to say to Jin, this man is stealing from me. Even he gets like a, a yet another dig, without Jin even realizing it. He gets another dig in on Jin where he's just like, he still thinks of the daughter as his, not even belonging to her own husband. Yeah, and he, I mean, he does kind of get to that in a roundabout way. Like, you know, if if he's stealing from me, he's stealing from you because we are family. You know, and that that was kind of the the point of it all. So he does kind of get it to it in a roundabout way. Yeah. Um, on the island, Sun is sitting on the beach. Jin brings her a blanket and kisses her on the cheek, and he tells her that he doesn't know what he would do without her or the baby. Um, Saeed interrupts, apologizing for dragging them into this, and asks Sun to tell Jin that the next time that he'll listen to him, and that they should go because they have quite a long walk ahead of them. At the cages, Sawyer and Kate are being brought back. Sawyer is in pain, and she asks if he's okay, and he tells her never better, because of course he can't look weak in front of her. <laughs> Um, she asks why he did it. And he tells her that she looked too good with the pickaxe. And I love his, a chain gang looks good on you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's great in this episode. Uh, of course she doesn't believe him. And then he tells her the truth. He wanted to see how tough they really were. And he got info on the tasers that they appear to have a safety on them. He believes most of these, uh, he says something along the lines of most of these boys have never seen a real fight before. Uh, But he does say that Juliet would have shot Kate, no question. This this is when she asks, like, why'd you call him James, right? That's what I was just about to say. Yeah, Kate asks why he was called James. Uh, This this episode isn't actually the first time that she's been around when someone's called him James. Cause like, uh, Locke calls him James when he's asking about the guns and two for the road. I think it is. Yeah. I think it's some, yeah. Cause he says, well, even at one point when they're, is it when they're going out? No. Cause she was, she wasn't with them then. I was, I was thinking the hunting party, but she wasn't with them then. She was following them, but she wasn't actually with them. Because he says it there, too, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, and that, like, obviously they weren't in that great of a place at that point, I don't think, between the two of them. So she might not have wanted to dig into it at that point and be like, hey, wait. But now, you know, all they got is each other. So it's kind of like, so why did she call you James? 
Yeah. And he responds that it's his real name. And uh, he tells... This is... I, ha- I have uh, a few different reasons for liking this, but he says that uh, that he fa- he figured out something else that she tastes like strawberries. I just there's a there's a few particular reasons that I love that line, uh, not least of which is because in the very next episode, like you uh, talked about towards the beginning, Kevin, the fact that this episode and further instructions could have been almost switched, and the fact that in further instructions they reference that line. Um, and is another reason uh, about another show you like? Uh, yes. Okay. So, uh, in Firefly, there is a reference at the beginning to strawberries. Um, I'm trying to think. There's other like the fact that I I work in produce. Um, the <laughs> fact that uh, like even even in as much as the tattoo on Charlie's arm. Well, Dominic Monaghan's arm really is a line from the song Strawberry Fields Forever by the Beatles, which is my favorite band. I'm actually named after one of them. So, like, for me, there's several things where, like, it kind of, I don't want to say it relates to my life, but, like, it seems like the like a strawberry is, like, a recurring thing in, thing, in, in with, within a lot of things that I like. And when she has uh, that meal with Ben, they are are actually eating strawberries too. Right? It's 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 interesting. You didn't you didn't get where I was where I was leading. Are you talking cause... Buffy? The Buffy reference? Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's a quote from Buffy, isn't it? Yes, from it like is. The, they, got, they got the same writers. Yes, in the sixth season Do... of Buffy, um, the character of Willow. Uh, she is, they basically use magic as a metaphor for drug use. And one of the characters who's basically her dealer and his is like, cause she's not allowed to use Matt, you know, like her friends won't let her use magic and whatever. And so he lets her get, he basically lets her get high and she has to give him something in return. And he kind of like zaps her with this thing. And he like, uh, at one point he says to her that she tastes like strawberries. So yes. Was was Drew Goddard, was he a, like like one of the big writers on Buffy, or is he just a writer on Buffy? He worked his way up. He got to be he got to be towards the top of the food chain. Yeah. Yeah. So I was actually going to dig into this myself because of this scene uh, with the Drew Goddard stuff, because the, this uh, little back and forth, kind of like in darkness, back and forth between uh, Kate and Sawyer being all cute and flirty, and uh, kind of confessing stuff to one another is very reminiscent of uh, my one of my favorite scenes that Paul and I discussed on the first episode that I had uh, with him on Outlaws, which was also written by Drew Goddard. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was, it was, it was I noticed it watching it and then going and realizing that Drew Goddard also wrote both those uh, episodes. It's his second of nine episodes that he wrote of on Lost. Um, or co-wrote at least, but this definitely had his fingerprints on it. I didn't realize it was the same person. Yeah. Um, While we're talking about it, co uh, also co- co-written this episode by Drew Goddard and Jeff Pinkner, who I'm not. 
Oh, I know that name. With, but yeah, you should because he co-created Fringe. Yes, he worked on Fringe. He's uh, he's one of J.J. Abrams' top. Well, he used to be one of J.J. Abrams' top guys. I believe they worked together on Alias in a lot of the um, the things about the creation of this show. When the sh- you know the show uh, the the old head of ABC wanted the show, and they had Jeffrey Lieber do it and he they didn't like his past so they asked JJ Abrams if he would work on it and he was like oh I'm actually working on another pilot that I'm trying to pitch you guys you know maybe if you bring somebody else in and they brought in Damon Lindelof who had worked on something with them that never went forward and Damon came in and he worked uh with basically in the alias writers room with uh uh, JJ would come in every so often because they were still working on Alias, but he worked with Jeff Pinkner and uh, I want to say Jesse Alexander is the other name. And so they were there on the first season. And then uh, Jake and I mentioned it in the previous episode, the fact that towards the beginning of season three, JJ Abrams kind of came back. So I just figured Jeff Pinkner kind of came back with him because he those like, seasons one and three are like the only ones that he appear that he works on as from a production standpoint if i'm not mistaken and then yes he went on to be one of the the big head honchos on fringe so and also has uh co-wrote the jumanji film that's going to be coming out and Mm. the marvel venom film that's coming out next year <laughs> Those two real opposite reactions from you, Liam. <laughs> well, yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to seeing Venom, and I, and that Jumanji film looks terrible, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I guess people are liking it, so you know. But I'll watch I, anything with the Rock in it. Okay, so in response to uh, tastes like strawberries, uh, Kate chuckles and tells him that he tastes like fish biscuits. And then she asks, what's next? And he, of course, calls her shortcake, strawberry reference. uh, And he says that they need to wait for the others to make a mistake. And we then, uh, we see the switch of the conversation through, it now is through the monitors that Ben was watching earlier. And we hear Sawyer say that sooner or later that the others will let their guard down and that he will be ready or they will be ready. Uh in Jack's cell, he's sitting with his back against the wall. Uh, Ben is there as well, and he sits in a chair and starts talking to Jack. He points out, this is one of those things that constantly blows my mind about this show, because he points out the irony of how a week ago their roles were reversed. A week ago. Like, every time. And I know I point that out every time on this show, because it still just blows my mind, because it took me so long to figure out the short timeline of the like like ben mentions it later it's only been 69 days since they crashed nice. but it's actually been two years yeah like yeah. it's you know he says a week ago but for us it was a year ago yeah for the for not us but the viewer yeah um and he says about how he you know he had to lie and you know he's like can you blame me for having to lie about you know not being one of these people whatever uh Jack asks what he wants, and Ben says that he wants Jack to change his perspective. One way for that is a proper introduction, and he gives his full name, Benjamin Linus, and he says that he's lived on this island his entire life. Lie. <laughs> yeah, he says he's going to be honest, over, and then actually. he lies. 
Uh, Jack won't shake his hand, however. Um, and this is the first time we hear Benjamin Linus, like the yes, name. Yes, yes, we heard yes. Ben a few times in uh, the premiere of this episode or of this season, but yeah, Benjamin mm-hmm. Linus, full on. Um, Ben then yells for something to be brought in. Jack asks about Kate and Sawyer. Ben tells them that they're fine and close, but that's all he's able to tell him. Jack calls him out on this, and Ben admits that he could say more, but doesn't want to. Uh, that's yeah, I love that. That's kind of like one of my signature moves. Like I could tell you anything I want, but I'm gonna just gonna tell you what I want to tell you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People closest to me will will get that reference and probably be annoyed about it. Um, he then tells Jack that if he cooperates, he gets sent home. Jack wants more answers, but Ben only says patience. And Jack asks if where home is where he sent Michael and Walt. Ben replies, yes. Jack asks that if they have communication with the outside world and they can leave wherever they want, why are they still on the island? And Ben throws the question back at him. Yes, Jack, why do we stay here? But Jack thinks that he's lying. He thinks that that they're as stuck in, uh, on this island as the survivors are. Ben then tells Jack that it's been 69 days that he's been on the island. Nice. And he tells him that in that time, the United States have reelected George W. Bush. Mm. Uh, beloved actor Christopher Reeve has died. And the Boston Red Sox have won the World Series. And I'm, I'm sorry, could you say that again? The Boston Red Sox <laughs> won the World Series. Ah, okay. Just, just wanted to make sure. Jack laughs and doesn't believe this at all. Any other team would have been more believable. Um, ben tries to tell him this, but Jack refuses to believe it. Ben then turns on a TV that was rolled into the room. On screen is the Sox winning the World Series. Jack is amazed. Ben tells him that's home. And if Jack listens and trusts, he will take Jack there. And that's my final note for the episode. Oh, wow. It's over. (laughs) Such a great scene there at the end and such a a payoff, which I assume they were always going to lead up to something along those lines. When they first referenced that the line from Christian, about that's why the Sox will never win the series. That's That led to some of the best moments on the show when Sawyer is talking to Jack about meeting his father, and then this right here. Just that Jack being so... Trying to play that tough guy role uh, when he's sitting there and then laughing at everything Ben says and not not believing him. Just the, the, the switch that flips when he stands up and walks towards the, the TV and, and actually watches it happen. It's so great. And obviously I have my own personal reasons for loving it. I've actually wanted to ask you about that. I believe, uh, uh, I I think we mentioned it once, like in just a private conversation between you and I, but um, I know you don't necessarily, you don't live that far from Philadelphia. You, from what I, what I've gathered, you basically consider Philadelphia almost like a second home. Yes. So, I know you're a fan of the New England Patriots, which is basically based out of Boston. You're a fan of the Mm -hmm. Boston Red Sox. Is there a reason that your sports teams tend to be Boston and not Philly-based? 
Um, well, to, to be honest, I'm more of a Phillies fan than a Red Sox fan. However, I am a devout Yankee hater. Hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Liam, are you are you a Yankees fan? By default. By default. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm a fan of whatever my father's a fan of, so yes. Gotcha. I get that. <laughs> so sorry if I, if we're rubbing this in then at all. I, but uh not really sorry. Anyway, um, no. Uh, the obviously the there's the, the the kinship. I am a Phillies fan in baseball. I'm a Patriots fan. I never identified with the Philadelphia Eagles or their fan base. Put it that way. And growing up, I well no because you're. Just, I mean, you picked a team that actually likes winning Super Bowls. So yeah. Yes, but at the time they had never won a Super Bowl when I became a fan. Like the people, again, the people who know me best know that to be true. And whoever ever calls me a front runner, whatever, I just, you know, dust that dirt off my shoulder. Anyway, um, at the time that that World Series was taking place, I was actually talking to a girl who was from Boston. I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but I'll rehash it quickly. Um, yeah, I was talking to a girl who actually lived right outside of Boston, um, Irish girl, devout Red Sox fan, and I just I just hated the Yankees. So they obviously had to beat the Yankees en route to getting to the World Series and winning the World Series for the first time in uh, 86 years, I believe it was. So, yeah, it was it brings back fond memories. Not necessarily of the girl. Don't get it twisted. Right. But uh <laughs> Yeah, great, great moments in sports, and I just love the fact that they weaved it into the fabric of the show, especially beings that Damon is a Yankees fan and Carlton is a Red Sox fan. Oh, okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah, and Damon has said, including this in his show, it was therapeutic for him. Okay. It was kind of like being able to manage the fact that his team blew, blew it so bad. Yeah, but the, I mean, as far I mean, I, again, I I don't know really anything about sports, but they had won it within that span of time as well, right? Like the the, the, the Yankees had won. Like oh it, yeah, the <laughs> the Yankees won the World Series twenty six times. Yeah, okay, 27, 20, 20, 26 or twenty seven, and they beat the Phillies, their last one that they beat won. So, you know, I'm I'm obviously bitter, and will take joy in them losing any any way I can get it. Um, one of the only things that I think of with this scene, I mean, obviously I actually, I think I remember this happening. I'm not a sports person. Um, but I know that it was a huge deal. And when it was like, when it was happening, it was like the thing that everybody was talking about, especially, uh, I don't, I was, I think I was, I had to have been in school. Yeah. But I don't remember what grade I was in, but like everybody was talking about it and being one of the only guys in my school, be it teacher or student who was, who's like not into sports. And I basically, I can understand an American football game and I can watch hockey and enjoy it, but baseball I'm completely lost. So like, I couldn't say, I couldn't even contribute to the conversation, let alone know anything that was happening, but I know how big of a moment this was, but the only, so like, I kind of remember that, but the thing that I really think of is uh, in season four, there's another character uh, who Jack talks about. He actually asks to confirm if this was right. 
And I remember reading uh, the, something about um, – because it's uh, Lapidus, and he says, mm-hmm. like, oh, don't remind... Because he's like, oh, did they really win? And he says, don't remind me. And if I'm not mistaken, and Kevin, please correct me if I'm wrong, by that point in the in the real world, they had won their second one in, like, like they had won another one since then. I believe so, yes. And so then it... Like, there was a rumor online I had read where people thought that Lapidus was, like, not from... 2004 but Lapidus was from 2000 what would it have been by that point seven or eight whenever they won and that he was like he had time traveled backwards and so for him it was a double burn because they had actually won twice by that point (laughs) and obviously Uh, that turned out to not be true but I remember reading that I was just like if that's the case that would be really funny because that's a really funny line (laughs) yeah yeah, I I always enjoyed that. I liked how it was like Jack's first contact with someone trustworthy, you know, from the outside world. And it's like, as soon as there's a down moment, he's like, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, that's 2008 they win again? It's seven or eight. Yeah, I don't I remember which, but it was, it, yeah, it was, it was they seven might have gone eight. back to, did they? I forget if they went back to back. Uh in 04, and then again in 05. Because if it was 2008, that means Jack wouldn't have seen it either. Jack dies in 07. Oh, yeah. So maybe he would have seen it if it was in 2007. That must suck. Yeah. <laughs> to be crashing on an island for one season and then and then die before the, before the next series. <laughs> um... But yeah, like I said, that was that was the like the only thing that I think of every time that I that I watch this because I'm just like I just think of that rumor that obviously ended up not being true. But I just was like, oh, that would be so funny if that were the case. Yeah, that that first reference to that's why the Sox will never win the series. The first time it's said on the show was only like three months, maybe four months after it actually happened. So I assume it was written and filmed right after it actually did happen. It would have been really cool and really, you know, good fortune <laughs> uh, had they written that before and then it happened. Yeah. But yeah, that would have been made for a better story, but I don't think that's the case. They should have just claimed that was the case. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, But yeah, I don't really have any, I mean, do we have anything else for this episode? Uh, it's interesting this is like these six episodes i think i think these six episodes kind of lost some people like lost a lot of fans because i don't think these episodes went were well received this little jake and i actually uh spoke about that He, he said these these first few episodes of season three are some of his favorites but he said that the season three premiere was the highest rated episode of season three which should show you the fact that you know they clearly lost people after that first episode for whatever reason whether they just didn't think they were going to get the answers or you know whatever um but i i don't know i think part of it was they didn't Maybe it was what you said at the beginning, the fact that, you know, we didn't get any answers about the hatch thing. I was way more interested in the others stuff 
than the fallout of the hatch. I mean, as much as, you know, I wanted to know what happened with Locke and Desmond and stuff, I was just like so much like, give me more others, 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 others. So I was not, I mean, granted, I wasn't watching at the, you know, live at the time, but I was perfectly okay with these first few episodes mm-hmm. where we focus on the others. Season three was the big dip of like losing a lot of a lot of the fan base, right? I mean, yeah, I think it was uh, the few people that I've talked with talked to like from this show about it. I, I don't nobody necessarily agrees with me, but I think towards the end of season two into season three was where the writing uh, kind of hit a standstill. I think I've mentioned, I mentioned it a few times in se- the end of season two episodes where a lot of it was just like rehashing certain stories that had already happened. And then of course we know season three features my least favorite often cited as one of the worst episodes of the show overall because they needed to be able to move to the next phase of the show. So I think, and I think it was just a matter of people felt they weren't getting answers to their questions. And in reality, you look at most shows, they start to lose their audience, the big audience after season two anyway, for whatever reason, especially a serialized show. Seasons one and two tend to be the highest rated and the highest uh, talked about shows i know that's not necessarily the case with lost but just overall shows seasons one and two are often considered the best of most shows so it kind of makes sense in season three that they would have dipped and unfortunately for a show like this when you are such a polarizing show as it was where if you were really into the show you were really into the show but if you went away from the show because they didn't answer your questions or, uh, you know, you were never into it or you thought it was stupid or whatever. You were really against the show. And if you can get somebody over to the negative side, you were very unlikely to get them back to that positive side, I think. Yeah. Because it's and- not really a show where you can jump back on if you miss, like, two no. episodes. And I think that was one of the problems with the series finale was uh, the fact that, you know, a lot of people tuned in. And I know the first time we were in Hawaii, I met some people who had said that they only started watching the show because they heard so much press about the series finale. And they were like, oh, I guess we should check this show out. Um, But like even that. As far as I know, some people, not anybody I know in particular, but I've read things where people tuned in just to see, like, you know, oh, is did they ever, did they answer all the questions? And one of the questions from non-Lost, when I say that I do, like, you know, that I'm, that I'm, I do a Lost podcast, one of the questions that I get most often is, yeah, did they ever get off that island? And, like, I want to look at them and say, like, yeah, halfway through, like... (laughs) You know, like that's like a lot of people think that that's what the what the series finale would have been. But clearly those people, even if they were people who were fans of the show at the beginning and and left, like they just it just completely went out of their mind or whatever, you know? Yeah, like I mean, I get the they were dead the whole time narrative because it's people who if you hadn't seen the rest of season six leading up to it and you just watch the finale, then yeah, you're, that's probably what you're going to think. 
if you're just a casual viewer. So I, I get that, and that's why it's become this popular belief. So I don't necessarily get mad at people. I get mad at people if they literally sit down and watch all 100-something episodes and then say that. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing about season three, which might have lost some people, I don't know if it's the first show, but it's one of the first shows, I think, to... I mean, season three is one of the first seasons where a show has like the huge mid-season break that's very common nowadays well yeah because that was one of the things uh i mean i know a lot of the like all like shows used to do that for uh you know like christmas but yeah as far as i know like this show because they they didn't just take you know like say from thanksgiving or you know even right after thanksgiving to a little after new year's like they took like three or four months off right yeah, it's that that was that was the start of it. Like nowadays, every show does that. Uh, like mid, and I, I don't like it. I don't like I don't like that a mid-season finale is a thing. It, See, it, I I think if you can do it right, like um, I haven't watched it in a few years, but like I think for a while, Once Upon a Time did it right. Um, I think Agents of Shield sometimes does it right because what they'll do is they'll basically split the one season into two seasons. So your mid-season yeah. finale is basically a season finale. You know what I mean? Versus, and it, I mean it's sort of yeah. Of course, it ends on a cliffhanger to set up whatever the next half of the season is going to be. But basically, for the most part, they tell a story that's beginning, middle, and end. Versus a show like this where it was just the continuing thing and they just left you on a giant cliffhanger and they were like, okay, see you in, you know, like half a year, basically. And then all that opened up, I think, for binge watching more because not just a, uh, not now there isn't just large a large break in between in the middle of the season. They have like they'll they'll skip a week or skip two weeks for, for whatever reason. And like the inconsistency of release, I think uh, turned people to binge watching. Because I, yeah. I'll, I'll agree with that. It, it got a lot more uh, kind of sporadic as as how they released the shows, and I think they were switching the night and the time uh, between seasons. They switched, you know, for season four. I mean, partly because of the writer strike, but it started in January rather than September, and it was shortened. So, like that, yeah, that affected well, think, a lot of viewership as well. I think that was one of the good things about the the three, like the second half of the series, the, the seasons four, five, and six, was the fact that they kind of did that thing that I think a lot of shows should do in general, especially if you're going to do a shortened season, where. Uh, you know, from from my understanding, a lot of shows they start like writing and all that in you know July or you know June, July, August, and then they'll film a bunch of episodes. But then by the time they get to when the show is when what by what by the time we're watching, say episode five or six, they're already behind in their production schedule because they somehow got behind and they're just like trying to film multiple episodes at a time. Versus I think that they should do kind of like they did with uh, seasons four, five, and six, where not all of them, but they had a large amount of them written and, like, filmed and, like, completed, ready to air before the season even starts. And they so then they can just air them all as, like, one 
saw, you know what I mean? Like every week there will be one unless something drastic happens or whatever. It's like every week from say the, you know, first week of January till whenever, you know, there's going to be a thing versus like, Oh, there were production issues. We had to stop the, you know, we had to, we had to, take a break that's why we don't have one this week is because they're behind so we're going to hold off on airing the next three or whatever you know mm-hmm. i think you get bu- it got bumped around for like a state of the union once or twice i think and stuff like that so yeah, didn't Which, it- i mean that that sort of thing like i i can understand because like you know people may hate me and and i know it was the big thing especially during the final season there was the whole thing of like was president obama going to do his state of the union during the time when lost was on and every there was like a whole thing on the internet of like oh the lost fans will never forgive him and he got to ask like a you know the answer to a mystery or something if in exchange you know jokingly in exchange for changing the state of the union but like let's i think let's be honest something like that no matter who the president is i think that takes precedence over a tv show (laughs) Eh, ABC didn't have to air it. <laughs> they could have been well, the he, one network not showing it. He did end up like changing it, didn't he? Though, yeah, I, I, yeah, they joked that it was for that. I don't. I think there was more to it than that. I think there were actual other like legitimate reasons that they changed it. But I think it just became like a nice little joke of. You know, yeah, he he was like, yeah, I'll change it, but you have to answer because I think they said the question that he wanted to know was uh, who were Adam and Eve. You know, so, yeah, he did end up changing it that year. But I think there was actually more of like a national, not a national security reason, but I think there was like an actual like legitimate reason, not just like, oh, I don't want to mess up the lost fans. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think the viewership was that that big at that point anyway. So. But there's there have been a couple shows that I've just kind of forgotten about due to like inconsistency of when the episodes are released like uh the event yeah that I, was a huge I, one yeah I, I tried watching that live I, I i i couldn't i couldn't watch it live i just forgot about it because i because you know what i didn't watch it one week and then so i just forgot but i did end up watching the whole season of the event and the event ends very good it does. I, I I mean, based on the ending, I wish it had gone more. See, that's one of the things like I don't watch a lot of TV live. Like I'm a I'm a big like even Hulu, you know, next day or I'll, you know, wait maybe two or three weeks just so I have a few that I can binge of of most shows. So I'm not necessarily so worried about when they're on live, just as long as I can get them somewhere. But it is a little frustrating when you do forget, like, you know, if there is a show that maybe you didn't like, there's a few shows that even from being in Hawaii months ago, I still haven't watched the beginnings of certain shows, like the, you know, the first few episodes of certain shows that I've watched for years. So like I'm behind and like, I have a little, a little list of a lot of the shows that I watch. But it, it is frustrating when you remember, oh, yeah, there was this other show that, you know, like I, like I said, I'm behind for my own personal reasons. But it's, it is just frustrating. We were like, oh, yeah, there is that show that I watched and that I wanted to see. And you just completely forgot about it. And it, it especially when not in my case, but like you were saying, Liam, like when they just change the night or the time or whatever, it's just frustrating. Yeah. And you got to think like it's a lot easier today than it was at the, at the time of the, especially the first few seasons 
I've lost. Like it's kind of like DVR was just becoming a little more mainstream, and like if you if you missed it, there was a good chance you really missed it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, even uh, uh, one... to, to the average viewer, you had to wait until uh, you know it sh- they showed a rerun or whatever. And I really liked when they started showing last week's episode with little uh, information captions. Oh, well, that, yeah. was like, okay. that was like season four. That? I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember there was some really good information when uh, they, they were given the press briefing about what supposedly happened on the on the island. Yeah, it was like because you got to think you're you're asking the viewer, your average viewer who hasn't been binged watch this like to remember the details of a one episode they may an episode they may have seen one time three years ago you know and and expecting like oh you remember this important detail so i feel like that was kind of the reason why they started doing that showing last week's episode with giving you all that information letting you know what's important to what's actually happening now yeah that was like a pop-up video sort of thing right yes yep Yeah, it was really cool. I'd like to actually watch those if they made them. I wish it was a feature on the Blu-rays, but I don't. I don't think it is. Um, and one one last thing before we end, I just want to uh, shout out this show for having the balls, for lack of a better word, to do to still almost three seasons in, do uh, an episode which is not entirely, but almost entirely done speaking in a foreign language with subtitles well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. because a lot a lot of uh you know network primetime shows would not take that risk that was that was a big thing at the time and while i I have a sun engine episode i'll just give him a shout out for doing that and sticking to it that's actually one of the things that i like about those characters and I, i i don't know if i read it or maybe it was on like a commentary or something but I think it was Damon Lindelof said about the fact that they made the conscious choice very early on that if it was if any of the English speaking characters were around, there would not be subtitles, which I only noticed after hearing that that bit. But like if there's ever any Eng- like you know characters who speak English, there's not subtitles because as much as that person or those people are in the in the dark of what's being said, they want us as the audience to be in the dark. But if it's Korean speaking people in the same scene, then there there are subtitles. I thought that was a really interesting way to go with that. Yeah, like when uh, Jin is speaking Korean and Sun is translating for him, you're not actually seeing uh, what he's saying. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, if we don't have anything else, uh, why don't you guys hit them with your social media if they want to, so they can keep the conversation going with you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Hazard Time, and I also got my YouTube channel, which is also called Hazard Time. Check it out; it's pretty cool. I'm going to get on that, and if anybody wants to follow me, it's at Seventh Power across. All forms of social media uh, replace the V in seventh with a seven. Um, and as always, you can find us on Clock Shelves, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. 
uh, C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S. Uh, thank you guys so much for being on the show. It's always lovely talking with you. You're welcome. Thank you, Paul, very much. Always a pleasure being on. And I will end with the traditional thank you, namaste, and good luck. Oh, did anybody look up the Paula Ferry? Yes. Was I right? Yes. If you were wrong, I would have said something. Oh, okay. (laughs) Hey, this is Jorge. Thanks for listening to Lost with Friends.